Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. Hello, and thank you for joining us on another exciting adventure into future possibilities. This is Mission Evolution, where we share innovative thoughts and information with today's leading experts, bringing the latest knowledge to support your evolutionary process. You're a very important part of this discussion. Email info at missionevolution.org with any comments or questions, and we'll address them on the very next show. So take notes, sit back, and enjoy. This hour, we'll consider spiritual awakening, uniting science and spirituality. Science and spirituality have one thing in common. They seek the truth, the truth of life. At some point, they became polarized against each other, an either-or type of situation. Are you a person of science or a person of faith? Yet the search continued, each faction seeking the same thing with a different approach. In the quest for spiritual awakening and unification, what can be learned by combining the knowledge accessed by both of these seemingly divergent approaches? After all, there are three sides to every story, the right, the left, and the truth. With us this hour to contemplate life and truth is Tim Freak. Tim is an English philosopher and author of 35 books, translated into more than 15 languages, including Sunday Times bestseller and Daily Telegraph Book of the Year. His work combines science and spirituality to offer a visionary new understanding of life. His website, timfreak.com. That's T-I-M-F-R-E-K-E.com. Tim, thanks so much for joining us on Mission Evolution. Oh, it's a delight. Thank you for inviting me. How is it over there in England? Uh, today it is sunny and uh, very pleasant. That's kind of unusual, isn't it? Uh, it, it? Well, in the summer it is sometimes like this, but you never know, you know, it's going to can change at any moment. That's England. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> um, so would you mind sharing with us, what's your educational background? Uh, my degree was in philosophy. So that's, that's the, uh, um, the foundation that I come from. Okay, what kind what kind of degree did you get? Uh, BA honors in uh, philosophy from Bristol University, which is a university in the southwest of England. Nice, nice. So, how how did you become interested in spiritual awakening? Uh, that came way before studying philosophy. I went to university really with the hope of studying, finding out the meaning of life, and found out in the philosophy department that they're more in interested in you know the meaning of inverted commas than they were the meaning of life which was a little bit of a disappointment although i did learn to think which was very very valuable um my spirituality interest arrived was always there really um i think as a, as a kid I, I just felt like life was profoundly mysterious i still do i wake up every morning with it uh, and that led to uh what i 
would describe probably as a, a spontaneous awakening uh, around the age of 12 to just before 13, um, in which I tasted this, what I could think of now as a deep wake state for the first time. And that catapulted me then into what the hell just happened? How can I have it again? How can I share it? How can I go deeper into it? And that led me to study all the spiritual traditions of the of the world and write, write about them now, mainly. Um, I understand that so, sometimes as we go about that age, as we go into puberty, uh, that can happen. Um, can you describe to us what is a spontaneous awakening and what was your experience of it? Well, I, I feel very lucky um, because it didn't happen when I was meditating or in a church or reading a book. It happened just on sitting on top of a hill with my dog, as it were, looking at this sleepy little town that I grew up in, wondering why everyone seemed to be asleep, um, in the sense that everyone was rushing around living their lives, as we do, uh, without seeming to notice that we're in this incredible mystery. And it uh, had a profound sense always that there was some meaning here to be found. Uh, and that one day, I don't know whether I just went into the mystery so deeply or what happened. I mean, it was a long time ago. Luckily, I wrote about it afterwards, so I still have a record. But um, it was like stepping into another perception of reality. I felt at the time like stepping into a magical garden where the colours were brighter. And the, the, um, the, the biggest thing I remember is just this overwhelming love this kind of communion and connection and like the whole universe is pulsating with love. And that was overwhelming for me as a young boy um, uh, and an immense sense of relief. And, and after that, a profound sense of that was, that was the answer I was looking for and it wasn't words. There was a shift in the way that I actually, my whole state, which enabled me to perceive something, which I, I then have in one way or another probably spent my rest of my life trying to understand what it is and indeed how I can share it and go deeper into it. And, and then more recently, as you said, how does the knowledge which comes from this spiritual stuff that I've given my life to, how does that interact with this magnificent body of scientific knowledge that, that other people have, have acquired with their, their exploration of life? So how much do you think uh, sitting on a hill in nature had to do with your being able to um, kind of enter the unified field? Uh, not, not much, I don't think. I mean, it could have done. I mean, I've had it in, you know, coffee shops. I've had, you know, my, my initial um, journey up until, well, I guess my 30s probably was moments of like, boom, through and then out again and then boof, through and then out again. Um some happened in things like meditation or doing Tai Chi Chuan or whatever I was exploring at the time. But the majority happened at odd times in a blues club, uh, for instance. I remember when I was in my early 20s or a very profound one, like I said, in a coffee shop. Uh, this one happened to be on a hill. Um, but I think they're just the thing which I, I, I had from it right away, even though I did dive into all the spiritual traditions and had a guru for a while and all that stuff, was that it was something natural. It was something human. And then what intrigued me about all the traditions was seeing, ah, hang on a second, they're speaking at different languages, literally, of course. They're writing at different periods in history. They're all over the world geographically. And yet there's a similarity underneath. And the similarity seemed to be a commonality of experience, that there was a, a that people were having something comparable to what I'd been experiencing and then trying to work it out in their own, the language of their time. Is love the common denominator in that commonality? Yeah, I think it's one of them. Um, I think the two most, I mean, there's, there's a few really, but the two, and it does vary, of course, everyone's different and each time is different. Each, each, well, literally each person is different, but each culture is different. But love is, is, is one of them. It becomes more and more prominent, I think, as, as the evolution of spirituality evolves. Um, and, and this connectional oneness is, is the other one. Probably that's the f most fundamental of them all, actually. That unified feeling, if you will. Yeah, yeah. That, that you're that you actually you shift from a perception of yourself as just a uh, skin bag, as the great Alan Watts would used to say, uh, just a separate uh, biological entity, and you suddenly recognise, oh, I'm the whole universe, and how you then come to terms with that 
and and understand it is what creates the differences in the spiritual traditions and I very much feel like on the journey I've been made now I'm in my 60s is like ah I see it differently very differently to how I saw it when I was younger you mentioned that you were glad that you wrote it down um is this something that when you shift into it, you recognize or see or experience things that are difficult to recall when you're back into the ordinary functioning? I think there was a bit of that to begin with. It's not like that now. Um, but yeah, I think there. Were the, I think it's really always, I don't know. I, I mean, in some ways, I, I don't think it's any different than anything else. I mean, in England, you mentioned the weather. So the weather is so variable and we have such strong seasons that when spring comes around, I've always forgotten what it's like when I actually feel it. It's like, oh, that's the sun on my back, it's spring. Oh, that's so great, isn't it? But but it's been a year and I've kind of forgotten. I haven't forgotten, of course, I know the spring's coming. But I, And I feel like it's that, every, that when you step into this deep awake state, it always feels fresh. It always feels like, oh God, yeah, now I remember. <laughs> it's this much, <laughs> it's this wow, it's this be- beautiful. And of course, if you're only remembering that, you're. it's not the same as when you just get you find yourself immersed in it. Well, we're also um, immersed in, like you say, being asleep, ordinary reality, um, the mundane. It's it's almost like a different frequency or a different state of being to the point that we can't reconnect when we're lost in it. Is that your experience? Uh, less so. Um, but yes, if you took it over the course of my life, absolutely, absolutely. I think the key here is um, is to to understand everything. I mean, this is my, where I've arrived at now in an evolutionary context, because I think all all we're really saying there is that that uh, well, I would say everything has evolved, but certainly we can see the human culture and the human psyche has evolved. The soul, psyche is just a word for soul, has evolved, and so when new things arrive, uh, whether it's a new form of life or a new form of chemical or a new state of consciousness. It takes a while to build up what I would call the passivity, the, the, it, it, to have happened enough times that it becomes easy to repeat. And I think it's a commonality in the whole universe. So if you've done it, if it's happened enough times, it becomes easier. Simple as that, like playing the piano or anything else. Did, obviously, you've been um, seeking to be in that state more and more. How, how do you facilitate it at this point in your life? At this point right now, because mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've, I've done every mad thing you can think of. Really. <laughs> I mean, I mean, literally, I mean, it's like anything I still do, really. It's like if there's something else to try that, you go, oh, I wonder what that does. Um, these days, it's much gentler. I'm older and just a lot less um, intense about it all, I guess. Um, and I find it just like, like, you know, just easier uh, then I think that's just age and time. So I'm, meditation has always been a part of that for me, but it's meditation with a, in a very relaxed way now. Um, and I used to sit with a lotus position with my back straight. Well, I don't do any of that anymore. Uh, I just sit on the bed and close my eyes for a bit and uh, just sink into the, the, the state. And, uh, and I get the t- chance to share it with other people. And that's the real, um, real joy because there's nothing like sharing it to um, uh, to facilitate me dropping into it as well. It's beautiful. It's such a such an honor. You you call it a state. Is it a, um, a neurological state? Is there a difference in your brain waves? What kind yeah. of a state is it? Well, I think that opens up a whole load of questions about the relationship between the psyche and the body. Um, so I think I think the the two are entwined, but I don't think they're the, they're, they're the same. So I think the 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 more emergent states we go into can actually start to transcend and leave behind the the neurological states. I think that's why you see such little activity neurologically, for instance, when you measure people who've taken um, psychedelics, for, um, DMT or ayahuasca and things like that, where the experience you're having is just overwhelming and, and intense and you'd expect more and more brain activity but there's actually a lot less so i think it's a, it's a, it's i mean i don't know because i haven't been measured but the the my uh, i think it's a, it that's a, that we're now moving into a kind of philosophical question which i'm really happy to do but i think i want to put that in the context of how i understand the whole of the evolving universe really well, we're about out of time in this segment, so we'll have to pick up on that on the other side. But I, I would like to make a point. Um, 
you mentioned the the substances, the mind altering substances, but they are absolutely not necessary to enter this state. Is that correct? They're just different. I mean, it's like it's like all the all the techniques. Just they're all slightly different. Um, so I've never, you don't, I, I didn't have psychedelics when I was 12 years old and sitting on the hill. Um, I don't now. Um, but what psychedelics do is they open up a different perception. And I've never had that perception open up with such intensity, say, from just meditating. So they're just different. Different different ways to get to the same place. Or different, or different ways to get to different places, maybe. <laughs> yeah, there's that, right? So, um, again, we're just about to go into a commercial break. But on the other side, I would like to get further into what is this state and how does it compare with science? You game? It is time for that commercial break. Tim and I will return shortly, so don't you go away. This is Mission Evolution, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. We're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. again. This is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. We're dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. To our faithful and thoughtful audience, we really value your opinion and would love to hear from you. What do you think about evolution through spiritual awakening? Email me at info at and give me your thoughts or questions so we can all share them on the next show. This in from a member of our audience regarding the episode entitled, The Evolution of Medicine. Blending the old and new, SM states, I loved entertaining the concept of bringing ancient practices into modern medicine. It only makes sense. Thanks, SM. Dr. Sheila Patel had some great scientifically backed information on the advantages of blending modern medicine with ancient practices. Curious, dear audience? Visit our archives at missionevolution.org. Listen to the episode entitled, The Evolution of Medicine, Blending the Old and New, and let us know what you think. With us this hour, discussing uniting science and spirituality, is Tim Freak. His website, timfreak.com. That's T-I-M-F-R-E-K-E dot com. Tim, you mentioned um, evolution and spiritual awakening. What do you think is going on at this time that it seems to be accelerating our opportunities to evolve as individuals and as a race? Uh, well, my guess, my guess is it's always going on. Uh, it's just that what's going on is continually more emergent. So we've got from hydrogen and helium to you and me having this conversation over the last 14 billion years. And during that process, there's always been novelty. There's always been something new arising from what's happened before. And that's still going on. It's just that when we've reached, when with the emergence of psyche, things are moving fast because the psyche is so malleable. So compared to the evolution of the universe, biological evolution is very fast. But compared to the evolution of the psyche, it's really slow. Um, we can evolve now. I, you can say something which will change my psyche and my psyche will evolve as we speak in this hour. So that's where it's really moving. And you can see that in the culture around us where it's going faster and faster and faster because we're living now very much in the imagination. So my guess is, what, well, is that what's been happening is we're a movement towards first the evolution of the psyche and then this state of oneness, this state of awakening, which people began talking about it, ones and twos. It was obviously a very difficult thing to experience. People had to go up mountains to experience it and cut themselves off from life and all the rest of it has slowly uh, blossoming, as it were. 
So one of the ideas which I'm playing with is that we're evolving now from individuals into what I call univigils, which is individuals conscious of this unity. Because what I've seen in my own lifetime is that more and more people are having this experience. Uh, and it's, it's dramatic. I mean, when I used to talk about waking up to oneness 20, 25 years ago, most people thought it was a strange, abstract thing to say. Now, most people I speak to know exactly what I'm talking about. They at least understand it. Many have experienced it. And when I go through processes with people at my retreats and so forth, it just astonishes me how profound the experiences people can have now. So I just think the same process is happening. It's just faster and we're at a new cutting edge. And that's what I think can the fundamental thing that can link together a narrative about si that science gives us with the narrative of spiritu spirituality is seeing the awakening as the cutting edge of that whole evolutionary process. So is, is it like we've reached critical mass and everything is accelerating because of that? We're moving f from the f orientation to the physical to that of, of something more um, energetic and spiritual? Uh, yeah, could be. Um, it, 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 the things do seem to reach a critical mass. I, I mentioned this word before, passivity, um, which is another word I was forced to make up because I couldn't find the word for it. Um, what I meant by that is I, what strikes me is how important time is, or at least this flow of experience that we call time, so that everything I've ever experienced is this continuous happening right now it's happening to all of us this flow of change um, but in this flow of change there's two things which really stand out for me one is that every moment's new which sounds banal thing to say but is actually astonishing that there's this constant novelty and that sometimes it's dramatic novelty and that's what evolution is and then the other thing i notice is that every new moment is based on the one that came before and it and the the, the previous moment is implicit within it and that's been going on in this universe, we think, for about 14 billion years. And that, to me, makes me want to understand time in a different way, not as something which passes, but as something which accumulates, that the, 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 the past is present in the moment. And it's the presence of the past that makes the moment what it is as it becomes something new. So that what's governing the, the repetition of everything, the laws of nature or the habits of nature, as Rupert Sheldrake calls them based on uh, Charles Sanders' purse, that the, the, the whole universe is learning how to be a universe, how to be first how to be matter, then how to be life, and then how to be psyche. And in that process, the more passivity that builds up, the more it can repeat itself. And that's both a blessing and a curse. Sometimes you want to move that on. You don't want it to repeat itself. But in other times, mostly it's a blessing because it enables us to enter more, more emergent states. So that one, what's happening, I think, is that we are building up the, the passivity to allow us to experience things which previous generations would have found much more difficult. But we can do that because of them. And our job is to be to make that more foundational still for the for the for the generations that are coming, and that's what will bring about the sort of shifts that uh, we we know are possible. I was sitting the other day contemplating aging. <laughs> Don't we all at this age? And <laughs> and um, and and realizing the substance that age brings that you just can't access certain concepts or ways of being when you're younger. And it sounds like you're talking about this as a global thing over time as well. Yes, I think that's a good way of, of getting it. I mean, the, one of the thing, the movements I, I really like in physics is this movements towards seeing the universe as, as something which is learning. Um, I think it shifts our understanding of the physical evolution of the universe and biological universe dramatically. And it connects it with that very human experience that you're talking about which is just that, you know, we said everything, everything which we can do, we can do because we've established it. And the awakening is no different. And it's not that we're living in some special time. It's like, oh, how lucky are we? We're living in the special time. No one else did. Everyone lived in the same special time because the special time is the leading edge of the emergent process, which is always the, what, that's what the now is. So now is always the special time because it's where the new thing, which is unthinkable in the past, is beginning to come into existence. And we are living in it and we will take part in that and future generations will take that on.
There's um, a mathematically proven uh, concept. I, I really wish I could remember the name of the gentleman that came up with it or the formula <laughs> itself. But it basically, when you put it in a nutshell, it says that the um, um, what what manifests is equal parts past and future and only happens in the present. How does that fit in here? I'd have to know what you were talking about more to be sure of that because I haven't come across that as a mathematical theory. But what I am saying, I don't, I don't know about equal parts or I think I, I, that sounds like, honestly, that sounds like it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't even know how you'd measure it. But what is definitely true, and just look right now, is that each moment takes the past and creates something new from it. And what we know, because, we're, because 14 billion years ago, the universe was pretty much just hydrogen, and now it's you and me having a conversation about the beginning of the universe, we know that through that time, there's been enough novelty arising to create us. And the other thing we know about that, it seems to me, is that, well, then we are the universe. The, we, the, the universe has arisen as you and I having this conversation. We are the universe going, what am I? Uh, what else could we be? Could we exist separately from it? No, we are it. And I think the shift from the individual to the individual is when we recognize, oh, we are the universe, but not in some grand, I am the universe way, but actually in a very obvious but profound that the universe has arisen as Tim and as a Gwilda and we are connecting with each other. And if we connect just in our in our you know humanity, which is beautiful, we're human beings, I think that's marvelous. But if we then go, oh, there's a deeper level, we connect as individuals. And that's where this incredible oneness and love suddenly starts to kick in. Or, or the other phrase I really like to describe it is, 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 when I exp is, is a kind of universal benevolence. This, this, when I feel connected with everything, there's a, a wishing well for everything and everyone. And that's what shifts as you come into this individual state. So you can then look at the universe and go, well, What's, what's happened is it's kind of woken up to itself. It, it, the universe has become alive around four billion years ago, at least on this planet. And then the universe has become reflective and it's then developed an imagination. And then it's thinking about itself. And then it's going, oh, the part is the whole. The part is an expression of the whole. So I am recognizing that I'm not separate from the universe I'm exploring. And the phrase which comes to me, and it's a big shift for me, was when I was young, I looked at all these traditions, the message I heard was, it's all one. But I'm not sure that's quite right. The phrase which really works for me that I'm exploring now is, it's not that the universe is one, it's that the universe is the one in relationship with itself. Mm, that's what okay. I see all around mm -hmm. me. That's what I think is happening between you and I. So... I've noticed um, at this time that those of us that are seeking that um, unification state, it's almost like it's part of our responsibility to go move in and out of it to create kind of like a bridge from one state to the other. Uh, could you speak to that a little bit? What do you mean by bridge? Um, well, there's the state of being unified, and then there's the individual state that has been the norm for generations yeah. um and and then there's this the bridge is the the way to move from one to the other ah, so okay. if you're just sitting in in the unified place you don't necessarily relate back well to the people that haven't done that yet unless you can go back and forth yeah i think that's that's why i like this idea of the individual so the, but the thing about the individual is that they're an individual the, 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 the shift that's happened for me in the way that I understand the traditions, which arose a long time ago, you know, most of them 2,500 years ago, or, or around that sort of time when they start, and their, their vision is very much escape the world and get away to enlightenment. No suffering, no attachments, no emotion, no thoughts, no humanity. And you can escape this awful place that you're in where you become trapped in an illusion. Where I think we're at now is is that the understanding of spirituality has evolved so that now we can go, oh, no, that's not it at all. It is exactly having that bridge. It is, it's going, oh, look, I am, I am it, the awakening to oneness doesn't happen by denying or, or eradicating the individual. It happens through the individual. And when you have that, you're very much embedded in the world. Because you're seeing even when I take my attention and enter a deep samadhi where there's nothing but light, I come back and it's been like, ah, it's happening to Tim. So that 
so that we're 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 rooted in that individuality. And then, like you said, it's like, ah, okay, so how can we then find ways to share that with each other? And 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 most of what I do when I'm not doing philosophy, uh, not and when COVID's not happening, um, is to take people, offer people ways to get into that. And and my favorite way, I do lots of different things, which, I, which are helpful, I hope, but really the best way, I think, is through deep connection. Um, so simple things like uh, having r- really profound gazing experiences with other people and opening up that experience of the universe looking at itself. And the and what's so powerful about that is the love really kicks in. You can really have that sense of, oh, I'm connecting the deeps, that the, my being is connecting with the being of everything through through connecting with this other person. Uh, it's beautiful. So the d- deep connecting uh, with another, I'm more just about out of time in this segment, but the deep connecting with the other individual um, is that a heart experience? I, I think it's a total experience. I think you can experience it on all sorts of different levels, depending where you put your attention, really. Fantastic. Well, again, we're going to have to take another commercial break. Tim and I will return to our discussion shortly, so you stay right there. This is Mission Evolution, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xedbn.net. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution. Did you know our entire leading-edge, information-packed past episode collection is available to listen or download with our compliments? Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. To find out more about me, Golda Wiecka, and the other things I offer, visit www.findyourpathhome.com. Our guest this hour is Tim Freak. We're speaking about individuals evolving into individuals. His website, timfreak.com. Tim, why is it important at this time? Why do you see a spiritual awakening being important at this time? Well, I would suggest because it's the leading edge of an evolutionary process that is what the universe is. So I think I think this is the... This is the, the 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 cutting edge of of what's going on now. I also think it will have huge collective um, effects as well. I don't think it's individual. Um, I, obviously, we are individuals. And we experience things individually, but I think what we come into is in the sense of oneness, which inspires this what I call the universal benevolence. I think impacts then on society on how we relate. So. I don't I don't I'm not so sure, you know, how quickly this is going to happen. I'm not some sort of prophet or anything like that. And I'm very suspicious of those that do claim to know, if I'm honest. But I am. And, and my guess would be if I had to is that it'll take some time. Um, but it's happening faster now than it was. But it's still pretty small. And I, I do feel that spirituality itself needs to evolve a lot before it can really handle it. I think it's very still very stuck in the past. I think it's largely stuck in irrationality. I think it hasn't kind of grown up yet into the modern world. It hasn't caught up with science, that's for sure. But when it does, and I think it will, then I think there, the, there's a change coming which will be as great as the change, say, that happened with the scientific revolution, which no one could have predicted, and when it happened, created the world where we're now connecting across continents. And I think the the change that will happen as we enter into these awakened states more commonly and more of us will be different, completely different to that, but will have a, a similar shift in in the things that people take life to be. 
well, you know, we've been talking about spirituality, um, would, but we haven't really defined it. Mm-hmm. Would you define it like as opposed to religion or, you know, what is spirituality as we're speaking of it here today? Well, it's, it's a really difficult word. I, 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 I find it a difficult word because it means so many things. You know, it can mean everything from sort of deep awakening to crystals and whatever. And, and there's, there's all, that's all of interest for different people for different reasons, um, but it's a very wide word. What I mean by it is kind of what the what I see was meant in the ancient world and what I see in the Renaissance and uh, the pre-scientific times, where they're talking almost very obviously, and I like that. As a philosopher, I like the obvious. They're saying, look, you're experiencing two types of experience all the time. You're experiencing sensory perception of the world and you're experiencing what we would call the imagination or the imaginal realms, uh, ideas, things which don't exist in space. They're not made of matter. They're spiritual. And that realm of the psyche, which is the Greek word for soul, psyche, just means soul. They come from different languages, is also what spirituality is about. It's about the non-material domain that we're in all the time. And every human being has always been in both. So, so more energetic than matter. I'm not sure it's necessarily the word energetic. I think it's another very, very difficult word because, mm-hmm. you know, what does it mean? Is it got anything related to the way that scientists use that word? Because they have a very specific way of using it, which maybe that's a different word. Um, the origins of the word in the Greek, energia, has a different meaning again. Um, so I, I, I worry about the word energy uh, I, 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 or I needs defining. I, I think it's like, look, we're always experiencing these two things. Have a look now. The place, there's a place, there's a, the, the air is vibrating. Your ears are, are um, receiving information from the vibrating air, which is the sounds I'm making. But in themselves, the sounds are just funny noises. But you're decoding from that meaning, and the meaning is in the psyche or the soul. And that's the realm that spirituality is concerned with, this non-material realm, which seems to have evolved from the material realm this more rarefied representational world in which we now spend nearly all our time. And everything we're doing with philosophy, with the imagination, with the technology which has allowed this, with art, all is embedded in that world. And as I look around me now, as I'm talking to you in my office here, uh, apart from the plants outside the window, everything I see has been through the imagination. Everything has been through this other realm. Mm. So... Let's get down to the nitty gritty. What does science have to do with spiritual awakening? Well, I don't. I think everything is connected. That's that's the, the revelation I think that comes from the experience of oneness. So, in that case, I, you know, they must be connected. And what I think we need to do is reapproach spirituality or understanding of it, and probably reapproach some of the understanding we have of science. So, I think science has given us the three key ideas we need to combine these two. Um, areas, like you said, right at the top of the of the of our conversation, and the three ideas of I very 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 quickly would be evolution or emergence that the whole universe has evolved, and the claim that I'm exploring, the hypothesis, if you will, is literally everything is part of that unfolding of the realization of potentiality on ever more emergent levels that's been going on in this universe for 14 billion years. So literally everything. And that's quite challenging to spirituality because it wants to have some things which are not evolving, which have existed forever. But I think that one of the key things is to get that. Everything is emerging based on the simplest to the more um, emergent. And the second is relationality, which is a big idea which you're seeing in physics right now. And in the, the essential idea I shared with you, the universe is the one in relationship with itself. Everything is that relationship. And that that relationship is what defines what everything is. And the key term there, which is developing in science, is the word information. That what gives everything its particular form or its nature can be understood as information. And because we live in the information world and my voice is being carried to you right now as digital information, we can really imagine that now, which our our forebears couldn't. And that gives us, like Carl Jung said, you know, there must be something, there must, for, for them to connect, the psyche and the body, for instance, there must be something which we can see them as the same. And I think the, the idea of information is that. So that they're both information, but on new levels of emergence. And that enables us to recast then this evolutionary story from science and go, you just stopped too soon. 
Science very much wants to go, the physical universe has evolved, the biological universe has evolved, and then there's this funny non-material psyche soul thing, and we don't really, it's, it's, we, that's kind of an illusion. It's an epiphenomena, it's a side effect of the body. Whereas what I think we need to do is go, no, no, no. It's the continuation of that same evolutionary process, which has gone through matter to life to psyche or mind or soul. It's so and much the, easier thinking about it as a continuum, isn't it? Yes, to, to yes. To make sense of it. Mm. Exactly. And if that's the case, then that's where the evolution should be happening. And look around you, that is where it's happening. And then while what, what spirituality involved in, well, it's always been about studying that. That's so, what it's always done from shamanic times. That's what it's done. It's studied that realm. What What do you see as the value of uniting science and spirituality? Well, I really think that this next jump, if we're going to make it, needs spirituality to be part of uh, the mainstream culture. And by that, I, don't, I mean also kind of the, the, the leading edge of the intellectual cognitive culture. And science is, is so far ahead now in, in terms of, I mean, it's just been unbelievable what's happened. And it's getting faster and faster and faster. The, the, the body of knowledge is expanding exponentially. If it cuts itself off from this more emergent um, uh, uh, level of psyche, then it will be missing the whole point of, of its endeavor. And likewise, if spirituality cuts itself off from the understanding of science, it will be stuck in an understanding from the past. And if you think everything has evolved, well, spirituality's evolved then. So it's not like it arrived fully formed and we lost our way. It's not, it, we are finding our way. We're, we're not remembering things, we're discovering things because we're, it's evolving. And uh, so if they come together, I think that's what can take humanity to the next level. So when exactly, <laughs> or even generally, did mm -hmm. science and spirituality become kind of polarized against each other or uh, mutually exclu ex exclusive, never the twain shall meet? Well, you know, it took a while. And, you know, the, the, the general consensus is you, t you talk about the Western Enlightenment. But what you what's really happening there is that human beings are beginning to move on from a mythic consciousness to a rational consciousness. And rational just means you believe things for a good reason. Whereas in mythic consciousness, you just believe things because it sounds nice or it makes sense to you or you like the story. And it comes in and goes, that doesn't work. And it's, so it's questioning the religion, which it had, had played that role beforehand, to, of which there had been much good and much bad, of course, like both, there's both good and bad with science. But this new understanding of being able to think rationally, most of the people that brought it in were also very religious. Newton was a kind of a, an alchemist, a, a magician, really. So it's not there to begin with, but as it develops, there's be it feels like that's an old phase we need to leave behind. And I'm 100% behind them. I do think we need to leave that behind. Or not leave it behind, but understand what it is. Keep it going because it's interesting and it's fun, but it's not a way to understand the nature of reality. The problem is that it doesn't stop there. It also needs to keep evolving. And that's, uh, that's, that's what we're talking about now. Is by bringing the two of them together, does it kind of filter out the the misconceptions in both? I hope so. So what I want to say is, look, I've kind of said it already, but for science, I want to go, yeah, the evolutionary story, but don't stop at biology. Keep going. And with, with spirituality, I want to go, turn everything you think, turn it on its head. We haven't fallen into this this benighted state of illusion we are awakening the whole universe is awakening and that that is a much more positive way of understanding the human condition and i think unites it perfectly with science so what is why is evolution the key to uniting science and spirituality because it's one narrative because it's one story not just uniting i mean i i i think it's it's I think it's the way that we can unite our, our understanding completely. I think it can integrate all of our understandings into one narrative, which, which is the unfolding of this process that we're all experiencing right now. And the history of that process is what's led us to here. And everything that has happened is part of that one process. But where we are now is in this very rich, multidimensional, literally, experience, not in some strange sort of way, but in the obviousness of, look, we're experiencing matter, we're experiencing biology and life, we're experiencing the psyche or the soul. 
and you can explore any of them infinitely, but they're all part of one thing. And where it's going, that's an uncontroversial, is to say that it, the latest thing on the block is the psyche or the soul. That's the latest thing which has arisen, and it's where all the action is. And spirituality is about there are more emergent states of the psyche than the ones most of us experience. And what happens to someone who has an awakening, uh, it, it, even for a moment, is you go, wow, that was something else. Why was it something else? Why was it more beautiful? There was more insight. There was this one because you're in a more emergent state. And when you touch something more emergent, it just feels more real. What's so interesting about the awakening is it doesn't feel less real. It doesn't it feels more real? And that's because in a sense it is. It's more emergently real. Seems like there's a stumbling block here mm-hmm. in that human beings historically have wanted to arrive okay, I want to figure this out, get the absolute truth, and then move on to something else. Mm-hmm. And from what you're telling me, that doesn't work with this. So there's, there's, a, there's a line in, 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 I put it in two of my books, I think, because I liked it so much. And the line is, the bad news is there's no arriving. But the good news is there's no arriving. Because who wants to arrive, girl? Really, you know, it's like, you know, and that's the old idea. With the Enlightenment idea, especially the Eastern version, it's very much about arriving. You see through the illusion of the self, uh, you enter the emptiness, nirvana, and you don't have to come back. It's a very, it's a very, really, it's a very negative view. Yes, it is. Well, we're going to have to pick up with that on the other side of a commercial break. Tim and I will be back shortly to continue our discussion, so don't go away. This is Mission Evolution, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xfbn.net. This is Mission Evolution, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I love to hear from our audience. Your thoughts are very important to me. To suggest a topic or guest that you think would be of interest, email us, info at missionevolution.org. I'm sure we'll all enjoy them. To find out more about me, Gwilda Wiecka, my school, and the other evolutionary tools we offer, visit www.findyourpathhome.com. This hour, we're sharing thoughts with Tim Freak. His website, timfreak.com. That's T-I-M-F-R-E-K-E dot com. Tim, how can uniting science and spirituality facilitate the understanding of existence? Well, I, I, I think it's the only thing which can give us an understanding of existence. You know, there's two possibilities for me, I guess, Gwilder, in my life, you know, this guy in England trying to make sense of this crazy experience is in either I'm um, deluded in some profound way and I don't discount that you know maybe uh, maybe spiritual experiences are are some sort of delusional state that's one possibility if they're not and I'm putting my money on the fact that they're not because of the experience that I've seen and what I've seen in others then they need to be integrated into how we understand uh, everything and, and what I'm looking for then, what I'm looking for is an explanation which can explain how can life be so amazing and beautiful and yet so cruel? How can it be so meaningful and yet so arbitrary? How can all of these opposites coexist? And I think the evolutionary process tells you how, because we're dealing always with this this uh, accumulation of the past. So I'm here delighting in talking philosophy with you, one of my favorite things to do, but I still have to look after my body. I still have to maintain my house. I, I, all of those other constraints, they haven't gone away. They're all still there. And that's what's happening in a grander sense. So if we want to know what this is, we need to draw on uh, the whole body of knowledge that we have. And spirituality has been cut adrift. And it's been cut adrift because of a philosophy that's associated with science, but which itself is not scientific. And that philosophy has many names, but I think of it as determinism or reductionism. It's the idea that somehow you can reduce the greater to the lesser. And I think the opposite is the truth. 
So, you know, you're, we're, we, you're not really, I'm not really in love with my wife. It's just chemicals in my body or, um, you know, the, 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 the body is really just atoms. Do, you know, and I, I think I'm choosing to say this, but really it's just, and it's the really it's just is that reductionist assumption. And it's been very big in science. It's less getting less, but it's been very big and it's just wrong. It's just a wrong idea. Uh, actually, everything, the more emergent things cannot be reduced to the less emergent. That's the point. And once you get that, then you can see this beautiful unfolding. I see it like the realization of potentiality on ever more emergent levels. That's what this moment is. That's what the whole thing's been. And that's what we're doing now as we, as we go forward into the future. We're realizing new things that have never been realized before in ourselves, collectively, and as the universe. Well, you know, when, when I sit here and I look at life, everything runs in circles. Now, it's always different, but it, there is a cyclic nature to it. Winter, spring, summer, fall, the ages of the zodiac, the way the, the um, solar system moves through the galaxy is, is a circular pattern. That being the case... Was there a time before this of unity? I mean, we speak about this being the first, the newest, the greatest, um, but are we repeating this? Was there a time before this that we, we actually were more spiritual and more unified? I, I don't think there's any reason to believe that. Um, one could never rule out anything and terrible things can happen, but I don't think there's any evidence that I've seen which would make me think that. It looks to me like there's been a, you know, there is a circular nature to things, and that's partly because things repeat. And obviously, the nature of the the the, the movement of the, the Earth and the planets and so forth has that orbital nature, which gives it a circular feeling as well. But like a wheel, you know, when it turns, you're on you're on the next one. Now, this is we're back in the summer again, but this is the summer of 2021, not the summer of 2020, and it's different. And it includes within it the summer before it, and that's the nature of the, of the repetition, but also the, the the newness of time. And I don't, I do. It doesn't look to me like we're remembering this. We're, it looks like we're discovering it. To me, I don't. I I I, I can. It seems just a romantic notion that we're that somehow it's all happened before, and also kind of a it has in it that pessimism which I see a lot in ancient spirituality, which is that we somehow it was all perfect and then it went wrong. What is beautiful about the evolutionary story is it's not going. It's not. This is not something which was perfect and went wrong. This is something which is going right. This is something which is evolving into more, and we are that process. But within the cyclic nature of all things. Um, uh, and I, I, I agree with you. We are absolutely, you know, creating something brand new. But within the cyclic nature, is this another shot at the becoming more aware of the spiritual nature of things? Uh, do, you, of the energy? do you mean this as, as in the, the human beings have done it before, or the whole universe has done it before, or what, what do you what do you mean? Uh, the, the planet, even, you know, that that we as human beings at some time past have been in this same scenario, just like we continue repeat going into spring. But it's a different spring. I can't see any reason to, to believe that when I when you when you study history and we've got a good, pretty good understanding of history. Um, it doesn't look like that. It looks like we've just been evolving steadily um, as so more of a straight line. Emerge. Not a straight line exactly, more like just moving all over the place, like 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 with nature. It's, it's not a straight line. It's like everything's evolving, and we are too. And different cultures are evolving in different ways, and different individuals in different ways. So it's not like a, a straight line. It's more like an, an explosion of creativity in every direction. How can un, universalism help us create a kinder world? Well, I think that's the universal benevolence. Wilder, I think you know what I, what I, why this this matters on so many levels to me, is that the very first thing that hit me when I was a kid was the love or the goodwill, and that's what's made me do all the things I've done since. Really, um, the philosophy is there to support that, um, but the, you know, the, there's there's plenty of people that get this without being interested in philosophy. They just have, they just they have it just in a more feeling way, and I, I love that. That's fine. So I think. It just shifts your it, it shifts you into this universal benevolence, so that you're no longer just serving yourself or your family, although you're still doing that. I think 
there's a universal benevolence with an individual responsibility. I think the two go together because we're individuals with our individual responsibilities, and yet we are also the universe. And when you get that extra, when you get your universal identity, and there's this benevolence or this love, then you're seeking to, ex your responsibility is how you express it in your world, in your unique situation, in all the different things that you're doing. And I think that, that that's the way that things will change. I actually think it's the only way yeah, I, I know that there's some people, especially in the political field, who regard those ideas as kind of hopelessly naive or uh, kind of unrealistic. But but actually, I think it's the other way around. I think it's the only realistic idea. There's a lovely line in the great Walt Whitman where he says, create great persons and the rest will follow. And that's I think is it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. We just need to create good, great persons. And that comes as we enter into this individual realization and we and, and the the benevolence that comes with it it also sounds like you're talking about the quality of our individuality and the responsibility we take on that level is going to impact the quality of us being individuals and the greater whole yes that's it absolutely that's the shift for, for again for the you know the deep spiritual traditions of the past have tended to negate the individual you get to the oneness by getting rid of the individual. What I'm exploring is no, you get to the oneness through or as the universe is arising as you and I, and as you and I, it can experience that oneness because we are a perspective on the universe and the universe is the one in relationship to itself. And then actually your individual evolution becomes the, the very focus. And the awakening to oneness is part of that individual evolution. And I would suggest that one of the other, we have we've left this far too late to go into, I suspect, but you know, I don't, I don't think it's just the psyche that's arisen as some sort of effect of the, of the brain. I think actually what's happened in the evolutionary process is the psyche has evolved to such an extent that it can exist in itself, which is why uh, the psyche or the soul doesn't end when the body does. So I think there's a whole level there which we need to understand and bring back into the mainstream. So it's not dismissed as religious nonsense, but actually seen as, as a statement about the, the, the nature of reality, because it will have a huge effect on how we understand the human adventure. What can we do to experience the awakening ourselves? How, how can we as individuals um, facilitate this? Uh, well, there's, like I said, there's lots of, there's, there's, you know, people can go out right now and Google my name and find me on YouTube and there's, there'll be meditations which I've led, which they can experiment with. But one of the key things it seems is what I call entering an opening. You can just take your attention and you focus it. You completely enter into a sensation like breathing or listening, or it could be anything. But in doing that, suddenly you see that what, whatever you pay attention to comes to life. It goes into HD. So I haven't been thinking about breathing the whole time we've been talking, but now I am. And, it, and it's getting stronger and stronger and stronger and, and more enjoyable, actually, beautiful, if you focus on it. And then to take that same focus and then open it. So you take in everything as one and then enter into that oneness with that same intensity. And what opens up then is, is can be this deep awake state. Mm. So, Tim, what is your mission? <laughs> yeah, I thought about this a little while back and you know I'm a philosopher and I want to bring out I want to 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 create a philosophy which can unite science and spirituality. I want to create a spirituality for the 21st century really that can really facilitate us um uh, collectively entering the next stage of evolution. But underneath all of that, you know, Gwilda, I think really I want to unleash the goodness in us. I want to I want us to enter that benevolent state and unleash this immense goodness that I see potentially in, in all human beings, because I think that will transform because because I think we're rooted in the world, even though I think we can exist without it. The that the, that's what will transform human society, our relationship with nature, all the things we need to do and, and can create a better world for our for our for our children. That's a beautiful thought. And. Do you believe that as we do this, it is stress reducing? There's a you keep speaking of benevolence. Is there um, a, a beautiful place that we can come to rest and know that we're okay? Yes, there is. But I, I but I, you know, it, it's 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 what I would call paralogical. There's two ways of seeing it. I think what really happens is you can become more resilient. 
I would say. I love the word resilience because it means to come back into shape. So that when, for instance, a, a, a lump of steel is very strong, but a sponge is very resilient because you can just squeeze it right down and immediately you let go, it comes back into its shape. And I think that's what that's the quality and the strength that you get from this. The ability to keep coming. So life is, you know, life is hard. And I'm not sure any spiritual techniques will take that away. And bad things happen to good people all the time. And we need each other because it's really hard. Uh, it's beautiful, but it's poignant, isn't it? And it can be heartbreaking and, and just all sorts of stuff. It's everything. It's everything. But what happens, I think, as you get to know these deeper levels is you can come back into shape. You can you can find the good in things. And, and that gives you a sort of strength. So it's like a guidepost back to um, to your center, to truth. Yeah, or to, you can reach towards that more emergent thing. You can reach from for that for the best in yourself, and the best in yourself, in my experience, is the thing that's just being born right now. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, Tim. Unfortunately, we are out of time. I could go on with you forever, <laughs> but thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a real delight. Our guest this hour has been Tim Freak, an English philosopher and author of 35 books translated into more than 15 languages. His work combines science and spirituality to offer a visionary new understanding of life. His website, timfreak.com. Remember, our entire information-packed past episode collection is available to listen or download free of charge. Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. This has been Mission Evolution with Gwilda Wiecka, coming to you on the wonderful Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xnbn.net. Join us next time as this mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to an evolving world. <laughs>